It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Day 13 of the World Cup, Luis Suarez was in tears. Son Heung-min in tears also, but for a different reason. Once again, edge of your seat stuff as both groups G and H, well, and the entire group stage, let's be honest, came to a dramatic conclusion. Plus, we've got the Socceroos' biggest match arguably ever inside 24 hours from now. I'm your host, Amy Duggan. This is the Optusport Football Podcast. Let's get into the Gagan Pot. Awesome to be joined by Aussie midfielder Tommy Orr and Premier League striker Michael Bridges. We put a punctuation mark on the group stage today and we'll look ahead to Australia and Argentina tomorrow morning. Guys, I feel like we start every morning with a line like this, but what a morning of football it was. I cannot talk about football, though, until I look at Michael Bridges. I see a shining Christmas tree in the background, Bridgie, but what is that pom-pom creation on your head? This is the mighty Lampton Jaffa's beanie. And I never got to wear it in Australia because we didn't need it. So I don't know why they actually designed these things. <laughs> but it's absolutely freezing here in the UK. The Christmas tree is up. I'm sitting in the house and the electricity bills are so high, I've had to put the beanie on and keep myself warm. <laughs> but the excitement of the football today has kept us warm. It was so entertaining. And the, you know, the World Cup fever and the Christmas spirit has taken off. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, Tommy, celebrations are in full swing as Portugal and South Korea progress from Group H. But let's start with the biggest game of them all this morning, Uruguay taking on Ghana. Some very unsavoury scenes that will cause headlines on full time. The players confronting the referee over an incident on Edison Cavani that Uruguay claims should have been called a penalty. Uh, Two bookings as a result, but Uruguay couldn't hit the back of the net enough times to go through. Yeah, they obviously left them themselves a lot to do uh, on the last day. And um, yeah, obviously until the, the last minute, they thought it was going to be enough. But alas, it wasn't. And um, yeah, Cavani obviously was uh, controversially not given that penalty, which, um, yeah, I thought it was quite unlucky. But I also saw, um, you know, if you think about the game before where they uh, conceded the late penalty against Portugal in very controversial circumstances, I can understand that they might feel a little bit hard done by. But um yeah, I guess not to take anything away from South Korea, who obviously did the job in their game. If we stick with the Uruguay-Ghana game for just a minute, Bridgie, Uruguay had the group stage pretty much sewn up until the other game's result turned it on its head. What happens when you're sitting on the bench and news filters through about a turn of events like that that changes the outcome of the game that you're in? Are you suggesting that I used to sit on the bench a lot there, Amy? Is that why this is directed at me? <laughs> <laughs> I did, actually. I did. Okay. Brilliant. No, well, it, it did happen to me, actually, at Sunderland um, when we were in the Premier League. And we needed a result on the last day of the season against Wimbledon. And Coventry delayed their kickoff by 15 minutes due to crowd congestion. So we knew the result was in Coventry's favour. We knew what we had to do. Unfortunately, we couldn't. But we had 15 minutes to wait. So, you know, the, the that kind of 
anticipation, anxiety, um, everything was going through through obviously my mind sitting on the bench. Can I come on and make an impact? Um, what can you do? Uh, the game was over, and then watching it unfold. Um, it, it's not easy. It was horrible. We ended up going down that season. So to see what you know, what the Uruguay player Suarez coming off, sitting on the bench in tears because the result had filtered through what was going on, and he couldn't make an impact in the game. And the amount of chances they squandered as well, Uruguay, they'll be kicking themselves. But I've got a feel for them because the refereeing decisions, I thought that um, there was a, a shocking decision. They should have had a penalty for sure. Not often do we see a referee give a decision, go to the monitor because he's being told, listen, something's happened, we think you need to have another look at this. He's stuck by his decision so they can feel very, very hard done by. And the scenes afterwards, I don't condone it, the way they acted and went on at the referee, they surrounded him, they, they were having a go, and Carvani actually walked down the tunnel after the game and he smashed, he literally pushed the VAR camera um, monitor over, um, just missing a few people by the way in the tunnel, so there'll be um, repercussions on that, but I, I think the way they handled it was not in the spirit of the World Cup that I think they just took it too far but I can understand their harsh doings and why they got that reaction. Yeah, obviously disappointed to be heading home early. Let's move on to the next match. South Korea taking on Portugal. This one ended 2-1 in South Korea's favour. Uh, Hung Hee Chan scoring a stoppage time winner, um, for South Korea to put them through to the last 16 of the World Cup. It does come, as we mentioned, at the expense of Uruguay in a very dramatic conclusion to Group H. I feel like we had drama everywhere the last few days. Uh, In this one, though, Ronaldo was pretty poor today. Some are even saying he's not good enough to be in their starting 11 anymore. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I mean, I think it's been a little bit of a, a topic of conversation lately, obviously, Manchester United recently, but also in internationally because... You see the likes of the players that didn't have in their lineup today, and um, yeah, they were probably looking for a player like him to stand up and you know lead the charge, and he was unable to do that. And I, I thought early when Portugal scored, you know, in the first five ten minutes of the game, that it was really gonna they were gonna run away with it, and Korea would drop their heads. But that's certainly not how the game turned out. Ronaldo cannot defend. He's not a centre half. He's not a fullback. He scores goals, and he's got this aura about him that players and defenders in the world are scared of him. So you, you know, they've conceded two goals. That is not Ronaldo's fault. And however, I know one of the ones did hit him in the back in the, from the set play. He, he he did shy away from that defensively. So to blame him, but you know, to think that he should not be starting. What more of a worse year could he potentially have? You know, getting dropped from Manchester United, not playing, then coming out and having the Piers Morgan interview, getting you know sacked by Manchester United. Basically, he's a free agent, and now people are questioning. Should he be starting for Portugal? They're through the round of 16. He has been starting. He will play and he will get goals. If he's if, if the opportunities fall to Ronaldo, he will get them. However, I didn't. I wasn't happy when he tried to claim the one from um, Bruno Fernandes in the last game because we know he didn't touch <laughs> well, it. It did touch a strand of hair, didn't it, in, in his opinion? <laughs> a little strand of hair. <laughs> you cannot write him off. Yeah. No, I don't think you can write him off either, Bridget, and I do think he's a big game player and uh, he always... He always makes those moments when they count. So as they move forward in the group, I think he will be super important. Uh, And then out of the group, he'll be super important to Portugal. Let's focus on this point because three out of the 16 teams are from the Asian Confederation with South Korea beating Portugal, Japan obviously beating Spain to go through, and our Aussies beating Denmark. There's some pretty big scalps for um, the AFC. Why Why have Asian teams been so good at this World Cup? 
I think it's um, a number of factors. We obviously touched on it yesterday. I think that, um, you know, the, the golf in class between, you know, the, the top European and the, and the South American nations and, and the rest of the world is, is getting smaller and smaller. I think you're seeing more Asian players, like Scotty mentioned yesterday's pod, um, playing in the, in the top leagues in Europe now. Um, so I think from that perspective, you know, there's, there's more opportunity for, for the Asian countries to kind of bridge that gap. But I also think the dynamics of this World Cup in terms of the limited preparation time, you know, a lot of Asian teams have experience playing in the Middle East, so they're used to the conditions and the drier pitch and these types of things. So all these things have kind of, um, yeah, help, helped um, Asia perform better in this tournament. And I think that it's fantastic for the region and it's probably um, given the region a lot more respect than they had before this tournament. Can I also just say, I know the South American teams have this. Tommy, do you think it's anything to do with the temperatures? I know the stadiums are saying or, or air conditioned to a certain degree. Having come from the UK to play over in Australia and find that, you know, in the summer months you're playing at extreme heat, it was very hard to adapt to. Um, you know, it took us a couple of years to actually realise what the hell was going on in some of the games um, and to actually get the body used to it. So do you think that's had a major factor with some of the Asian teams as well? Definitely. But, I mean, you can look at it a few ways, but I think that because um, a lot of the, the players that play for these Asian nations and the Socceroos even, they, they play in Europe predominantly, but, you know, the experience they have playing in the qualifiers in this region they kind of know what to expect I guess and I think you know touching on the temperatures there's also the other things that come hand in hand with that you know like the dryness of the pitch it might not sound like a big deal but I don't think it suits the European nations as as well to be honest because they you know the ball speed's obviously going to be a bit lower and these types of things so I think that's these are all kind of things like you mentioned that kind of play into into the the favor and um, are an advantage for the Asian teams. I'm going to give one more one more acknowledgement to the coaches and the, the the staff and the management. I've seen a lot of changes for the for the good in the in the Asian um, coaching badges uh, and the way that they're able to adapt. Now look at Japan, the way they change their tactics and formation. Going up against Germany in the second half, they got smashed first half. They changed it up. They found a way to beat Spain as well. So it's absolutely incredible to see that kind of. Um, development. I think the coach and Stan, as a you know, uh, son um, of Cameroon, they've been there. They've played at the highest level. They've been to World Cups. They've gone and done the badges. You understand? I think the football education for these teams as well, with the better coaching, the better development, the better facilities that it comes year in year out with the the money that's raised. So there's definitely a massive divide in the past that is shrinking World Cup upon World Cup. Well, let's talk about that because should Asian confederations get another place, Bridgie, in the World Cup? Well, the way they've performed uh, at this World Cup, yes, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, why not? They, they say they want to encourage it. Um, and if you're going there and you're performing and you are shown that the confederation or the, or the region of Asia is, is competing, then open the door. You want the best teams playing. And I think the next World Cup... Um, which obviously we're going to see in America. You know, there's going to be a lot more teams than that one, Amy. Uh, so, yeah, you know, the more the merrier my my um, regards because I love the World Cup. I think I didn't know what to expect from this World Cup, but the performances and the way the games have had the dynamics and the going into the last games, you didn't know what the hell was going on. I mean, at one point yesterday, Spain and Germany were both out. 
So it was fantastic. So I want to touch on that because, as you've mentioned, it's going to be a bigger World Cup next time. Tommy, there's been talk of a three-team group rather than a four-team group. But what that would mean is we'd miss out on this magical final day drama. Um, I know we were complaining about all the nil-all draws early on, but what it has led to is these like last game playoff. Uh, you're playing right till the end of the group, and it's actually made it really exciting. So surely to only have three teams in a group would be insane. Yeah, I think that would be a shame. You know, I can understand their appetite to increase the number of teams participating, but I think the the dynamics of having, you know, three group matches and, and two progressing from, from the group of four, I think that's kind of the perfect balance. And we obviously have been talking about it. You, you've seen the drama that you're, you're seeing in this World Cup in the last few days, right up to the last minutes of the games. And I think that would be crazy to, to mess with that because they've obviously got a good recipe for, for drama and for, you know, for the, for the neutrals watching the games around the world. So I think that um, changing that would be a shame. And I think this World Cup, when they go and analyse it, that's exactly what they're going to be saying, Tommy. How can we take this away from the fans and the teams? Because they've, they've totally embraced it. They've made it a spectacular event so far. Um, and why would you want to change the dynamics of that? I just don't get it. Stick with the four teams. Well, I, it would it would uh, continue on with the drama that we saw in the Switzerland-Serbia game in Group G. Just a reminder to our listeners that Brazil and Switzerland are progressing from Group G, but it wasn't without its drama this morning. Serbia and Switzerland facing off, Switzerland eventually taking the win 3-2, but it was a, a very high-scoring affair. Four of the goals coming in the first half. It was all locked up at halftime. Uh, the third to Switzerland straight after halftime with some questionable defending there from Serbia, but it concluded the score and the results and then their passage through to the knockout stages for the Swiss. But it was quite an entertaining match to watch. It was. And it was um, it was refreshing to see both sides kind of go at it so wholeheartedly from an attacking perspective because we've seen so many low-scoring games in this World Cup and obviously a few stalemates as well. So, you know, to see teams attack with so much vigour and it was sort of like in the first half watching basketball. It was just so end-to-end and, um, yeah, it was fantastic to watch and... It was good from a Serbia perspective to see Vlahovic and Mitrovic start in the same game as well for the first time in this tournament. And um, yeah, obviously they they scored two well-taken goals, but ultimately I think Switzerland kind of wrestled the the momentum of the game back into their favour and and did enough. And um, obviously there's a little bit of history between these two teams as well in terms of a bit of a... You know the political tension and these types of things. So you saw it get a little bit heated in the second half, but it only kind of added to the spectacle. And yeah, I thought it was definitely one of the more entertaining matches I've watched so far this tournament. It was a superbly entertaining game. I think Mitrovic overdid his celebrations a little bit. He thought he'd won the World Cup for his nation <laughs> when he took put, when he put them two one up. And it was like you say. I've, I've been super impressed with Switzerland because they defend very very well when they try to you know try and nullify a team defensively. But it was great in this game. You've seen like the attacking prowess that they can show when they've got to go and get a result. And I think that was the standout thing for me today. They'd gone behind, they found themselves getting back into the game and they got the job done. And then they, as soon as they got the lead again, they went back to their, their formation and, and had to sit in there. And like Tommy said, there was going to be counter-attacking moments because Serbia then came out. So this game was, it was a magnificent watch, I've got to say. And, um, and I've watched other games Switzerland have played in where I've kind of gone, oh, what are they about? But they know what to do with and without the ball. And I, I was super impressed with them tonight. You were watching a little bit of history there, guys, because it was the first two times that... Um First two teams that have scored at least two goals in the first half of a group match 
a lot of goals, right? Since the 1958 World Cup. So uh, we were treated to a little bit of entertainment and a little stat this morning. I'll tell you another stat. Cameroon beating Brazil. Now, I have to check that this is right, but I believe they're the first African nation to beat Brazil. So if that's true, what a scalp it is. A scalp anyway. Brazil, of course, were through prior to this game, but were beaten by that late Cameroon goal to Vincent Abubakar. Uh, I think the talking point here is that his celebration earned him a second yellow card, which meant you're seeing red. See you later. But uh, despite the win, of course, Cameroon were eliminated, given that Switzerland had won. Do you know the highlight of this, this game? was actually a, the, There was two massive moments. Abubakar's first yellow card, because literally he rugby tackled, and I'm talking like an NRL rugby tackle <laughs> um, on the counter-attack from their own corner. He had to run 70 metres the other way to basically just physically drag down Gimresh. He got the yellow card, and then what does he do at the other end? He scores an absolute bullet goal against Brazil. He forgets he's being red carded. The shirt comes off, so not only has he brought laws in the country, he's also brought laws in the footballing game, and he saw red card. But the, the moment was the referee actually shaking his hand yeah. to say, what a great goal, but there's a red card. So um, yeah. what, what a way to bow out of it's the like, world. Sorry to dampen I your know, celebrations. What a way to bow out of the World Cup. You know, he, The stage was his. He did it, and um, yeah, I really, I really felt for them. Um, but, but it just shows, because Brazil were my standouts, because they didn't have a shot against them until this game, can you believe? And it shot against them came in the second half, and Cameroon just turned on. So they've shown that Brazil are vulnerable. And there's a lot of teams, I think there's only three teams now unbeaten, England, Netherlands and Morocco. And the standout for me so far now after Brazil got beat is Morocco. Yeah, completely agree. And you, I mean, you look at the changes that Brazil made for this game, you know, bringing in the likes of... Jesus and Danny Alves and Edison, like players of this caliber, it's incredible to think that they're all, you know, part of a, a second string 11. So, I mean, it obviously bodes very well for Brazil in this tournament, but like Bridgie touched on that, they definitely showed some vulnerabilities at the back. And I mean, you know, just they didn't really concede too many chances, but the way the goal was taken was obviously fantastic. But I think that'll give a team, like the other teams playing Brazil in the knockout stages a lot more confidence. And after Cameroon scored as well. If, if Switzerland scored one more goal, then they would have topped the group, which would have changed the whole dynamics of the knockout stages as well. So that only kind of added an extra element to the, you know, to the get to the game this morning. And yeah, I mean, you saw at the very, the very end after Cameroon scored, Brazil finally showed a bit more urgency and kind of threw everything at it and created a few chances. And I think, yeah, perhaps they kind of approached this game, um, you know, without that kind of intensity because they were already through. But I think that they're still going to be a force to be reckoned with in the knockout stages for sure. That's been a massive thing. You've just said there, Tommy, Brazil changing their 11. I think they made nine or 10 changes. They get beat. Um, France did the same thing. What happened to them? They got beat. They were resting players. I know you've got to rest players. Um, and I think obviously Spain as well doing the similar thing and getting beat. Uh, it, it just shows you that you, 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 them players are wanting to make an impact. And they, obviously they've all failed. They've made the choice easy now for the managers to say, "Well, hang on, the boys that are the boys that are rested, they're back in the starting lineup." So it was, um, yeah. There's been some massive shocks, but obviously you need to rest the players. You know what it's like going to a major tournament. So um, yeah, then players will be sitting back on the bench. Unfortunately, the Brazilian boys and Anelli made a comeback because I saw Daniel Alves was in the starting lineup with the armband. Oldest player at this World Cup, and I was thinking, I, I, he's a forgotten man. I couldn't believe he was in the lineup. It was incredible. Oh, he's apparently been working like a beast to get fit. Yeah, so have I. Bridgie, so. <laughs> but I just look like a beast. 
I thought the um the the one player from Brazil who did stand out was Martinelli. I thought he looked pretty lively in this game. Yeah. So yeah. maybe we'll see a bit more of him in the knockout stages than what we've seen so far. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Gagan Potters. We now look ahead to day 14 action. Yes, all those long overnights are uh, coming to the exciting part of the tournament, although we've already seen plenty of excitement, haven't we? The beginning of the knockouts and the round of 16 coming our way. Uh, the Netherlands taking on USA. Bridgie and Tommy, let me get a quick tip from you both on uh, who's going to win that one. For me, I think uh, the Netherlands will win this one. We've seen how good the US have been in this tournament so far, but uh, Louis van Gaal, he just has a way of, you know, I think he's unbeaten um, so far with the Netherlands since he's taken charge. So I just think they'll be a force that's too strong to for, for the US in this game. I'm with you, uh, Tommy. And I noticed Bridgie was sitting on the fence there waiting till you stuck your neck out before he had something to say. So Bridgie, what have you got to say for yourself about this one? I am not sitting on the fence here. There's two reasons I'm going for the USA. And it is because of Tyler Adams, the captain. He's at Leeds United, so is Aronson. I met them pre-season with Leeds, two lovely guys, absolute workaholics. And the other reason I'm going for the USA is because the Dutch decided to give their philosophy to Australia and say that this is the way that we should do our curriculum. And what did they do? They fleeced Australia's FFA, so I hope they get smashed. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for the history lesson there, Bridgie. Um, I think let's focus on the other big match tomorrow morning, the one that we all care about, the one that we'll be packing live sites around Australia or, or getting up early to be glued to our screen. Kids will be late for school. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Certainly if we win, no one will be going to work anyway. Let's talk about the Socceroos. Uh, taking on Argentina, their biggest game ever, I'd say. Um, it's less than 24 hours away, but the first, I guess, and most obvious question of this one is how do you stop Messi? Yeah I think it's obviously that's the the big question and you know you, you look at Argentina's last game against Poland where there was obviously their best game of the tournament so far and Messi was kind of you know at the forefront of all their good attacking play basically and I think that the the blueprint though for the Socceroos doesn't change too much I think that the thing that we've done well in the in the first games is that you know, we've played with such high energy and we've always seemed to have pressure on the ball that it's kind of cut off a lot of the supply lines to the talented players. We saw it with Christian Eriksen uh, for Denmark. I mean, I can't really remember a single time in that game where he had time on the ball and was able to, to pick his passes. And I think that the same thing will apply tomorrow for Messi. We need to, you know, put pressure on the, the players who are going to feed Messi the ball. And I think that'll go a long way to hopefully cutting off his supply. Yeah, I, I think the midfield, whether, you know, with um, Irvine, McGree, uh, Riley McGree and Aaron Moy, for them to try and pick up the bits and not let him be able to roam and get on the ball in them little, I call it like the no man's land. So it's in between the defensive unit and the midfield unit. There's, you know, that little, little pocket of space he loves to pick up. And I think the 
only other thing that you can where you can stop Messi is Messi himself. If he doesn't turn up and he can't get himself in the game, because he, you know, he's got the penalty, like you see, he he drifts in and out of games. It's not the Messi that we all saw. Where he's going to take on the whole team and do things like that. He's still dynamic. There's no doubt about it. He's still a different class, and you know that fear factor. But if Messi is not on his game, he's the one that will stop himself. Because if he starts seeing the ball and he gets a lot of the ball, um, I'm afraid it can be it could be very very dangerous for the Socceroos. Because this guy's got a point to prove in his last World Cup. It is his last World Cup and he will be hoping to go out with a bang, Bridget. But I did hear a great quote, and I think it was from one of the Socceroos. They said, there's not 11 messes out there. There's just the one we have to stop. So I thought that was a great attitude to take into the game. Uh, you mentioned our midfield and, and obviously staying the same. Socceroos have won their past two games with pretty much the same 11. Um, but they were honest and they were dead on their feet after that last game. Fair enough, too, after you know that massive defensive effort. We have heard them talk about the lack of recovery time in between games and how, how squashed together the games have been at the beginning of this tournament. Is there a point that changes will have to be made by Arnold? Yeah, I mean, it feels like we only played Denmark yesterday. I mean, the game I can't believe the game's already coming around so quickly. And obviously, like you mentioned, there's going to be some tired bodies and... I mean, how the boys pull up individually, it's difficult to say. But, you know, I think that the first kind of non-negotiable for this game is that we're going to have to display the same energy and aggression, um, you know, to get in their faces. We saw how Saudi beat the Argentina team in the, in the first game of the, of the tournament. And it was, you know, a very similar blueprint to the, the way we've been playing. They were so aggressive and they didn't give them any time on the ball. And if you compare that with uh, the, the Poland and how they approached the Argentina game, I think they gave them too much respect and allowed them to dictate the game. So, you know, playing with the energy uh, and the aggression that we have had in the last two games is, is non-negotiable for me. And if there's players that, you know, haven't played as much so far in this tournament that need to come in to keep that energy high, then I think that's something that Arnie should consider for sure. It's a tough, tough one, this, because this is where the sports science and all the analysing comes into it. And obviously, Clarkey is there with Graham Arnold. You know, I'm a big fan of his when he was at Central Coast Mariners, when he went to Sydney FC. He's got a lot of respect from the young lads and also the older lads. Like Daniel McBreen speaks very highly of him from Central Coast because you could, when you needed some time off to recover, Clarkey would understand that. He didn't say it. So not one player in the Socceroos will be saying, oh, I'm flagging something here. I'm feeling a little bit tired. You're playing Argentina in the 16. You're going to try and hide everything you can and say that you're fully fit. So this is where the team and the coaching staff and the whole of the Socceroos go behind the scenes and they look at all the kilometres distance covered. You'll know this, Tommy. They go and have a look at all the stats of the monitoring, the sleep patterns and everything like that. And that's when it becomes invaluable. I'm not sure if they're doing the bloods or the urine still, um, but it's this kind of stuff is where it matters. And that's why um, it is so tight because you can't hide from that. So if something is getting flagged, you will see the players being taken out because it's, it's players' welfare and it's to the detriment of the team. So they'll want fully functioning players. So I'm just hoping Harry, Harry Suter has got his urine and his bloods and all his stats are fine because he is going to be invaluable to get a victory. Let's hope he's got plenty of Ks left in the legs and a few more amazing challenges like we saw in the last game, Bridgie. How do you prepare for a knockout game in a tournament when it's unfamiliar territory for the Socceroos at this level? I don't think there's any difference you know, in the preparation for this game than the previous two because in the last two games we knew we had to win the game or... or yeah, or get a good result to, to progress. And, I mean, the the facts of the matter haven't changed for this game. So I don't think that the preparation is particularly different for the Socceroos' perspective. But I do think that there's going to be more pressure on Argentina in this game than 
you know what there has been and obviously they, they've already had a slip up in this tournament and they've got you know a lot of high expectations back home and I think that kind of plays into the Socceroos hands a little bit as well and you know nobody in Australia we've obviously seen the Socceroos play fantastically so far this tournament but the expectation around the world is that Argentina should win this game so I think that from the Socceroos perspective it kind of it's almost a, a free hit so it kind of gives the boys that should be empowering for the boys to go out and play the way they have been and, and really enjoy themselves and I think if they can do that then we're every chance. Brigitte Let's talk about the game plan and the blueprint. Tommy's mentioned we've got this blueprint, we've got this uh, aggressive nature to us that he doesn't want to see this side sitting back and, and soaking up pressure, which admittedly we had to do against Denmark in the first half an hour. Do you see Argentina coming out all guns blazing or just trying to control it? And do you see this one going to, you know, to full-time nil-nil and hopefully holding on for penalties? Yeah, game plan. Socceroos cannot cannot change what they've been doing. They've they've shown that the players have bought into it. What Arnie's done, numbers behind the ball, press when we can when the moment's on. You know, if they if they have a bad touch or they're facing their own goal and they're going back towards their own goal, can we try and get a press on them? And but you can't go guns blazing because if you leave pockets of space and you expose yourself against this team, they've got quality all over. You know, Di Maria hasn't started firing yet. You've got Martinez that hasn't got himself a goal yet. Messi. Um, the, uh, Paul is just full of energy and at the back they're very very clever at how they do um, Argentina went, you know they'll try and make little niggly fouls just to break the play down so they can get numbers back behind the ball so when that ball's going into Duke every time he gets touched he's got to go down because what does that do then we can get out and up the field as well and then we can take a bit of pressure off so it's, it's, it's that gamesmanship's going to come into it but we must be defensively organised and try and get numbers back behind the ball because, like we showed against Denmark, counter attack, Duke uh, Lecky gets the goal. Yeah, there's other moments when Duke's uh, Duke got the goal from across, and then Goodwin and another bit of play. So we've proved we can score goals in each of the games. The opportunities will come. It's being clinical and taking that opportunity. And when you've got Harry Suter from set plays, that's what it comes down to. Can you defend the goal and minimise the opportunities and be clinical when we get them? Um, because this this Argentina team, when you think about it, going into this World Cup, they were unbeaten in 36 games. They, this was the, the team that everybody was thinking we're going to go and do it. They've shown they're vulnerable, but they're just starting to gather momentum now. So, um, yeah, there's the game plan. They're not going to change it. They'll control it. They've got superstars. They can counterattack. They know how to defend. They've got everything. And we've, we've shown in the group stages when everybody written us off, I had us finishing third, didn't think we'd get through. It's tremendous. So that confidence and momentum, you just never know in this World Cup what can happen. Now, Tommy, I've got a question for you. I was a shirt collector. I used to love exchanging shirts, like with Costa Kurt and Maldini, Frank De Boer. We're playing Messi. We're playing Argentina, right? Now, Steve Hodge, one of my mates at Leeds United, got Maradona's shirt all them years ago when he scored the wonder goal, the hand of God. That just sold for 7.5 million sports memorabilia. Or any of the Socceroos players thinking about... Do I get Messi's shirt? I want Messi's shirt for the you know for the history behind it. That it could be his last World Cup shirt should the Socceroos beat them. So will that be going through their minds? I mean, yeah, it would be hard for it not to. You know, he's arguably the greatest player of all time. But I I think Arnie would look, you know, would frown upon the players, you know, thinking about that before the game. Just frown, yeah, Tommy. Oh, yeah, he always <laughs> frowns, but I think that he wouldn't look too kindly on the players thinking like that. I think you know once the game's finished, then I'm sure there'll be 26 Aussie players running over to try and get his jersey. But 
in the lead up, I would like to think that you know their their mind is purely on the job at hand. But I mean, there's no doubt, you know, the prestige that would go, you know, with, with a jersey like that. I must admit, I personally never collected too many jerseys in my career, and it's probably something that I regret. This could be Messi's last shirt that he wears in a World Cup for Argentina, the last shirt he wears ever. I'm just putting it out there to all you soccerers <laughs> and all you fans that listen to this. Grab it, because that is your retirement fund right there. <laughs> Always thinking ahead, Bridgie. I love it. Uh, play with me here a, a little bit in, in the fantasy world. Just assume we, we can hold these guys out, which I think we will, and I'm hoping we're going to win in normal time. But if we do go to... Um, to penalties, for example, and you have to pick one socceroo to hit the decisive penalty, who are you going to pick? I think I'll choose Aaron Moy. Um, we saw in the penalty shootout against Peru, he, he had a really well-taken penalty, and with his technique, I think he's the player that I, I would back. I'm taking Matty Ryan because I think goalkeepers are absolutely tremendous at penalties. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Honestly, Amy, goalkeepers rate themselves at penalties. He might not be on the pitch by then, Bridgie, if we see the move that we saw last time. Oh, yeah, correct. That's a great... Bringing in the grey wiggle. By the way, you are smart. You're thinking, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm not going to go for the wiggle because he's good in goal. I wouldn't fancy him taking one because I think <laughs> Matty Ryan's distribution, he can pick the top corner. Right, if Matty Ryan's not on the field and we do the, we get Mr. Wiggle himself in there, the grey wiggle, I'm going to take, he'll still be on the pitch. Oh, it could be a substitute. Oh, my word, you're killing me here. Juki, Juki will be the man. I reckon you want someone oh, with McLaren. like super composure. McLaren will be on. That's Jim never a good penalty taker, isn't he? Never fussed by anything, and that you can just you know soak it all in and and know deep down inside, regardless of the noise in your head or the noise in the stadium, that you're just going to pop this one away nice and easy. It's about blocking it all out, isn't it? Says the person that didn't take heaps of penalties. <laughs> but I'll uh, I'll maybe wait for your your advice on that one, Bridgie. All right, we are of course wishing our Socceroos all the best. First thing in the morning, we'll be glued to the screen, no doubt. Uh, if you're not awake at 6am, you will be shortly after. I have no doubt about it with the, the number of people that will be glued on to watch this game. Uh, any last-minute advice, any last-minute words for our Socceroos as they head into this match, Tommy or Bridgie? Not really. I think just make sure that they are, there's no regrets after the game. I think that's the main one. Enjoy it and no regrets. Just about to say that, Tommy, you've hit the nail on the head. Enjoy the moment. Cherish the pressure. Turn it into the, you know, a, a mindset where you can go out and be the best that you can be. Do the country proud. Well, they've done the country proud anyway. But go and enjoy it and listen to your gaffer's tactics. Do not go away from the game plan. There you go. Because it's got them this far. Stick by it. And just somebody that wants to be that standout player that's got the X factor. Go and, go and make something happen. I'm just filled with hope that they will get the job done because the Socceroos have dominated the headlines in the past few days. The Australian public once again has football and the national side top of mind, just like in 2006. Optus Sports award-winning limited podcast series Football Belongs, produced off the back of John Didelitz's beautifully written chapters, charted the cultural threads of Australian society through the lens of nine football matches. It was a very compelling and very emotional series. Here's a quick listen. John Aloisi, can we replicate those scenes from 2006? People want more, and to, to replicate that, we need to get through the group stages and go even further, so then we're creating history. I remember walking into the stadium in Stuttgart 
and having a powerful sense of the history of that moment. Now we are underway in Stuttgart. How incredible is this sport that on this one stage it can tell such a powerful, unique, incredible story? Its potential, where it could go, if it could shed one or two things and embrace one or two others, are just so much about football says so much about Australia and vice versa. The amount of people dancing on the street, Federation Square going off and, and you know, just the people uh, having fun. We realised then that actually this could unite a country. It is really worth a listen. Search Football Belongs wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you find this one. Don't forget to jump on and give us five stars as well on the Gagan Pod. Thanks to Tommy. Thanks to Bridgie for your time this morning. Of course, we'll be back to unpack hopefully a victory to Australia over Argentina tomorrow morning. Regardless, we will be here. Hope you can tune in. The Gagan Pod is daily during the World Cup. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. I've been your host, Amy Duggan. I'll be back with you soon. Speak to you then on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Gagan Pod. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big.